Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and for our Lord and Savior, <clears throat> Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the ninth chapter of St. Matthew with an emphasis on these words. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. In November of 1789, founding father Benjamin Franklin, understanding that his life was fast approaching its end, endeavored to write a series of letters that served as sort of a farewell to his family and his friends. Among these letters was a single piece of correspondence to Franklin's longtime friend, the French scientist Jean-Baptiste Leroy. Writing in that month to Leroy, Franklin recounted the recent ratification of the U.S. Constitution, telling how this document came to be and his hopes and desires for it, and expressing confidence that everything seems to promise that this document will be durable. But of course, ever the pragmatist, Franklin felt compelled to add this at the end of his sentence. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and... Yes. In writing this, Franklin coined a phrase which would become a mainstay in the popular conscience of our nation, as you all just demonstrated. Death and taxes you'd be hard-pressed to find two more universally reviled words than death and taxes. These words conjure up in us a unique mixture of both malaise and dread. But you see, for many people, they spend their entire lives working hard, laboring in a job that they do not enjoy in order to keep the tax man off their back. And the only escape from this life of toil and labor? Death. At which point many often feel that they have missed out on all the best things in life. Friends, for those outside of the Christian faith, it can be really easy to see how these things, death and taxes, perpetuate a cycle of depression and despair among people. A seemingly inescapable cycle of, frankly, nihilism from which none of us are exempt. And out of all the people who have ever lived this way, I imagine that there were few who understood this cycle better than Matthew Levi, who we heard Jesus call to discipleship in our gospel reading for today. A text, mind you, which was recorded by none other than Matthew himself. One of the only accounts that he gives concerning himself in all the Holy Gospel. To say that Matthew would have been a controversial pick to come and follow Jesus would have been, well, a massive understatement. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you would, the shock as you turn on the TV and see a news headline where a radical left Democrat or a fundamentalist far-right Republican presidential candidate reaches across the political aisle to pick someone on the other side as their running mate for vice president. Would you be shocked? 
I imagine the first question that would come to the minds of many would be along the lines of, really? That person? Him? Her? But they represent the exact opposite of everything that we believe. Have you gone crazy? Well, friends, indeed, it was the Pharisees who said as much to Jesus, in so many words, when they later confronted his newly commissioned ragtag group of apostles, saying to them, why in the world does your teacher eat with people like tax collectors and sinners? For this is exactly what Matthew was, a tax collector. You and I hear the term tax collector, and it doesn't hold a whole lot of meaning for us. In fact, the image that you might think of when you think of a tax collector is probably a pretty boring one. You might picture a man in a tie, pencil-pushing government employee, seated at his desk from 9 to 5 with a spreadsheet on his laptop just filled with financial data as he nurses his third or fourth cup of coffee to keep him awake through what we would consider probably pretty mundane work. But... Such was not the case for Matthew Levi. In his day and in his culture, the term tax collector was just about the worst insult one Jew could hurl at another. For tax collectors, you see, were considered to be turncoats by their neighbors, traders who were not only under the employ of their foreign occupiers from the Roman Empire, but men who further padded their wallets by way of dirty graft. They would exhort from their fellow Hebrews exorbitant amounts of money beyond the simple coin which they owed Caesar. And as a result, these men oftentimes lived lives apart from their peers, lives of comparable luxury, the price of which was the derision of their family and friends. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were outcasts, some of the lowest of the low, men that no self-respecting Jew would dare openly associate with. Because in the eyes of many, these men not only sold out to Rome, but they traded their very status as children of the Abrahamic covenant for a fat paycheck. And so, these men were generally thought to be outside of God's promises unclean like lepers, destined for a special place of torment in the farthest reaches of Sheol. And so, when we come to Matthew chapter 9, here lived poor, miserable Matthew Levi of death and taxes. Taxes for sea, called by his Roman masters to take and take and take until death would take him But one day, as Matthew sat at his tax booth, a new voice called him, a different voice. The voice of Jesus beckoned to him, Matthew, you do not belong to Caesar, and you do not belong to the grave. I made you, and I have plans for you. Step away from your life of taking and taking and taking, because I have chosen for you a life of giving, giving God's gifts to his people. 
giving the gospel of my salvation for generation after generation to read and to mark and to learn. Giving your very life to your Father who is in heaven so that he might raise you up to life forever in his kingdom. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, I will call you my disciple. I will call you my apostle, my biographer, my evangelist. But more than all, for after Matthew is called, we see Jesus later that same day reclining at table in, well, in the text it says, the house. But time out here for a second. What house? Whose house? In the Greek, we see the dative case for all of you grammar junkies attached to the noun house. This means that that house, that that object in the sentence, was in direct possession of someone who we just read about. In fact, a literal but somewhat awkward translation of this sentence could read, Jesus was reclining at table in the house of him. Well, him who? There are two possibilities, two proper nouns that we see in the sentences leading up to this one. The first is that the dative here could imply direct ownership, meaning the house of Jesus. Remember, they were, after all, in his home city of Capernaum. But remember also how Jesus made his living. He was but a humble carpenter and a rabbi. His personal dwelling would not have been anything extravagant and not likely large enough to accommodate a crowd the likes of which we see he had already gathered at this early point in his ministry, according to Matthew 9. So then, what are we left with? Well, the second possibility, and the one that I consider to be more likely, was that when the text changes here, Jesus is reclining at table in the house of Matthew. So, you might be asking now, why so much attention and detail given to such a seemingly insignificant part of the story? Well, I want you to consider again what had just happened to Matthew in the first half of our, our reading for this morning. The call of Jesus had such an immediate and transformative effect on Matthew that he would get up immediately, leave what he was doing at his job, and follow Jesus. No longer preoccupied with death and taxes, St. Matthew now opened his home to his new rabbi and to the throngs of people who were following him. He was no longer taking and taking and taking from his fellow man, but he was giving freely to them out of what he had, which, by his profession, would likely have been substantial. And so, who were these crowds? To whom was Matthew now giving so generously? Well, to those who Jesus reclined with at table, the ones identified by the Pharisees, tax collectors, outcasts like himself, and most notably, sinners, sinners of all kinds. For we see throughout the Gospels Jesus associating not just with tax collectors, but with prostitutes and lepers and people afflicted by demons, people from all walks of life, in short, sinners like you and me. 
When the Pharisees made a scene at that evening's supper to call Jesus out on his behavior, to think that the long-promised Messiah would sully his reputation dining with such rabble, and he does so with words of encouragement and hope for those of us who are lost and erring and outcast. In short, for all of us. To them, to the Pharisees, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but rather those who are sick. So then, go and learn what this means. I desire, he cuts right to the heart of the Pharisees and to their obsession with rigid obedience to the ceremonial law. It's as though Jesus was saying to them, do you think yourselves more righteous than these at table with me because of your works, because of your tithes, because of your piety and your prayers? These things do not make you right with God. I came to seek those lost in sin and to bring them back into my Father's house. You who believe you have already everything figured out for yourselves, well, you have no need of me. Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the Jews and the Savior of all the world, calls himself a friend of sinners. Still today in his church, he seeks out all those who suffer in this world under the wages of sin, those held captive in that feudal cycle of death and tax, people who are in desperate need of forgiveness and change, which only he himself can give. To people like us, once lost and once cast out by our sin, he now calls us, come and follow me. And so, dear friends, answering this call, like St. Matthew before us, we follow. No longer property of the state, no longer slaves to sin, no longer destined for the grave, but given newness of life in him who has called us his very own, him who gave his very life on Calvary's cross to win us back from the clutches of death and from the wages of sin to reconcile us to our God and Father. Having been so richly and generously given, we too are called to give out of the abundance of treasures which God has showered on us. Yes, this can mean your time, your talents, and your treasures like we talk about in Stewardship Month, but it can also mean the steadfast love of the Lord, gifts of mercy and forgiveness, words of prayer and teaching and hope and reconciliation spoken to your neighbor in need. In short, God has called you, saints of the Lord, to give freely, even as you have been given. For this Jesus, who calls the lost and the sinful, he is also for you. See his change made manifest in your life as he calls you this day, not to take, but to give. That from him you might take those heavenly treasures that endure unto life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.